Hello, hello. This is Reality of Reality, and I'm Aliza Rosen, a longtime TV producer and development executive. And every week on the podcast, I talk to interesting people in all aspects of unscripted television. Today on the podcast, we've got a reality TV producer who everyone seems to know in this business. Bram Pinvidic is a big-time producer. He created shows like Extreme Weight Loss for ABC, Bar Rescue for Spike, and he also was sort of responsible for John and Kate Plus 8, but his story is pretty funny in terms of how that came about at TLC. And he's also a guy who's not afraid to put himself in front of the camera. He has kind of distinguished himself by doing this on sizzle reels, which are the sales tapes for the networks. And he is most prominently starring in his own documentary called Why I'm Not on Facebook. So he recently launched his own company. We signed a big deal with a, a big studio, and he has some very good insight on having your own company and these pod deals that everybody seems to be doing these days. Brant, welcome. Well, thank you. I'm so happy to have you. I'm very excited to do this. This famous podcast uh, that's been sweeping the industry. I mean, really. I feel I, so lucky. I know. I, it was, you know, when you just kept bugging me to come on, I, know. I finally just said fine. That's what I was using my PR team to do. Get me on that podcast. Damn it. So um, I always talk about how I know the guest. And so you and I met, like, I think four and a half minutes ago. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so but, I mean, you've been around. I've been around. We've, we've, we have connecting circles, as most of the people in reality do have connecting circles. We're one degree of separation. Right. And so when you don't part. know someone, the first thing you do when you want to find out how you have those connecting circles is you go on Facebook. Of and course. you say, I'm sure Brent and I have got, you know, 75 friends in common. But guess what? That's right. Brant's not on Facebook. Brant's not on Facebook. And we're going to get to that because he made a whole documentary about I did, it. Yes. I love it. So um, I can't wait to talk about that. So I want to keep it kind of linear. Um, and you, so you hail from Canada. We discussed that. Originally, on, yeah. I'm Canadian, yeah. And came to LA when? About 12 years ago now. See the about. 12 or th- Did I say Abu. about? Yeah, that's where it gets, that's uh, where you uh, hear the little. Uh, it's like, it's not yeah. quite, it's like, you know, the. the, the, the about. The, about. <laughs> About. And so... Um, yeah, 12, 13 years ago now. And then you started at GRB? Uh, yeah, I did, a, I did a year over with the guys at Side Street and New Wave Entertainment. Um, so that was with like uh, Michael Gruber, Matt Walden, Barry Katz. Um, I did that for a year and then I went to GRB was when I sort of really kicked it into real gear. Like, hey, I'm going to stay in the United States and this is going to be my, my new career because I actually found something that I might be able to do. And is that what you wanted to do? Did you come here thinking it's going to be TV? Uh, well, when I came from Canada, I was certainly thinking it was going to be TV. I didn't think at the time that I would actually be able to stay in TV. I thought, oh, wow, I fooled all these people into letting me come down here for a hot second. Let me just keep this ruse going as long as I can. And then I'm going to have to go back to Canada at some point. And so uh, the ball bounced a little bit different for me. And so here I am in the greatest country in the world. And I'm so happy to be here. And it's been an amazing run. And it's like it's literally the American dream. Well, I hope you're a citizen or you're going to get deported once you become I am. Because, I know, exactly. <laughs> you're, you're dead. The, the funny thing is, is I, I, I have stepped up my entire immigration system uh, in a big way because the pending election and who knows what you guys are going to do down here with who you're voting for. So I thought, I better get my citizenship like as soon as possible. Oh, yeah. We're going to build a wall around that house of yours. That's right. <laughs> Got to get you out. I know. <laughs> Yikes. Okay. So you started GRB. Like, give me a sense of time. Like, what year was this? Uh, 2005. So 2005, so reality was already well underway. Yeah, the boom had really started. Um, Yeah, 2004, 2005, the boom had started, but it was really early in the process, particularly at the network executive level. A lot of the executives that were getting hired were fresh out of the sort of production world, uh, coming from the scripted television side, other areas in in the network business. So it was a it was a little bit of the Wild West in that sense, where you'd have people that had their jobs for you know, three months trying to figure out how to build reality. Every network was building. It was it was a it was a fun time. And what were the big shows, or what were the what memorable shows at GRB that you worked on? Like, what were your first reality shows? I mean, we when we first started at GRB, we were we were Princes of Malibu was the first big one. So that was the first Spencer big Pratt, yes, and one the of birth the of Brody Jenner and Spencer Pratt. So you must have hung and out David with those Foster. Guys. Yeah, well, because I was connected with David Foster, and that's how it all came together. Um, Back up on that. Is that the Canadian connection? That's the Canadian connection. I knew it. Yeah. Um, and why did he have to leave Yolanda with Lyme disease? That's not that nice. That is so not true. That is not the way oh, it went down oh, at all. Wait, side side note. Okay, yeah. wait. No. We, Sidebar. It's not really? No, no, not not okay. at all. I mean, that's not even logical. 
Okay, good. That makes so, me happy because no. I feel bad for you. Anybody who's married understands there are a lot of <laughs> factors in a marriage. Okay. And anybody who's been in the press or had to deal with them realizes that the press has no care for anything that has any semblance of truth or reality. It's like, what's a great headline? And that's a great headline. Such a good headline. So yeah. you and David are still tight. Uh, yeah. 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 I, I love that guy. So. Um, and he's dating Selma Blair now? Uh, listen, I, I mean, no longer confirm or deny that. Yeah, really. Interesting. Okay, back. Sorry, I just got yeah. way sidetracked. But that was the first big project. And for GRB at the time, it was a sort of... It was, a, it was a big change for the company as we moved from, you know, certain type of cable programs into a, at the time, that was a major, it was the first network docuseries. No one had ever tried anything like that in at this, in that time. So it was sort of a big project for, for the company. Was um, that before or after Intervention? So Intervention. That was just, before. Okay. Yeah. So that, yeah, that yeah. is a big deal. Yeah. So that was, did you, in terms of docuseries, that was obviously the first docu you had ever worked on, or no? Yeah, I mean, I I played and sold with some in cable that we were working on, but that was the that was definitely the biggest and high profile, and and you know the network wanted to do it differently. We wanted to do a little bit soft scripted in certain elements. I mean, watching it now, it's like wow, we were many years ahead of the style that was about to come. Um, so in it's, terms it's of really the fun. Hybrid yeah, and, and you know some of the staff on that, Sean Travis went on to the hills and and used that a lot of those formulas. He he was the one who helped bake that that idea as well. So it was it was an interesting time. Then there was a big show. We had a lot of fun with it. So so those guys were sort of the original reality stars in terms of sort of you know getting famous off of reality. Yeah, they were early in that, and and I ended up working with Spencer and Brody a couple times along the way years later uh, until I went to the network and then. Off they went on their own. So, and have you stayed in touch with them? Uh, Spencer, every once in, a, once in a while, he'll he'll reach out, and there's a little bit of sort of like I have a little bit of a paternal connection to him, where I I, I wish the guy well. It's hard to watch him in his ups and downs. It's you know it's a little sometimes it's difficult for me, and I and I, and I do wish him well, and I'd, I'd like to see him succeed, and I like I like to see the growth that he's gone through, and and as he he grew up and to be. Now he's he you know he's 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 a good guy and a lot of the things that you know went through he went through were uh, building blocks for his personality. Yeah, and and he's kind of always been an interesting. Well, he and Heidi have been interesting to me in the sense that you know if you kind of look at reality stars who peak at a certain point, right? So everyone thinks about the Kardashians. Well, what's going to happen in ten years? Are they still going to be relevant? Are they still going to have that show on? Like, if you don't have a discernible skill, I mean, not to right. be offensive about it, but Spencer doesn't really, you know, I mean, he Snooki and and uh, her husband, you know, got a house flipping show on FYI. I'm right. sure Spencer's tried 50 different ways yes. to make him and Heidi relevant again. Yes. So it's a little bit, I feel bad for them in the sense that like once you peak as a certain type of reality star, if you don't know how to transform that fame into something else. Yeah. How and do he you missed coast? He, w what's strange about that is he missed that window of gonna go to college get an entry-level job learn a skill like he missed that window because he went into this sort of reality space and he was a very dynamic character who understood the genre very well and watched the the hills kids and and knew those guys well um and so knew that type of person and knew what he was planning to you know put together throughout his entire sort of run and i think what happened was is he got the idea which i think anybody can understand is he wanted to be the person that you love to hate. Like that was a very deliberate style that he put onto that. So that and was an act, essentially. It, it, yeah, an act in a certain way, but more like a deliberate being okay with acting a certain way. You know, like he like the statistic. He that, of yeah, that shit, and it's yeah. like it was calculated. He knew that he was doing it. He was fine with that. He 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 made decisions to ramp it up in in that way, and he firmly believed that that was going to be a golden ticket for him. And in hindsight, it didn't turn out as well as I'm sure he had hoped. And he doubled down on that, that <laughs> idea a few times. But this sort of construct of what he was thinking, I can understand. I can understand anybody going into that situation saying like, well, this is going to be my character. This is what I'm going to do. This is what, how I'm going to stand out. And so, you know, yes, he's brash and, and, and he's a little wild. And he, once he gets an idea, he just does his thing. That was, our, you know, that's what we always clashed is like, we had a great rapport, but if he got an idea in his head, it didn't matter what you 
tried to talk him out of, he was going to do that. No matter how many people told him this was a bad idea, if he thought it was a good idea, he was going to do it. So Did it um, ever turn out where he was right and it worked? Um, I'm sure there must have been a few incidences, just not, not that on many. the bigger, broader ones. I think that was, and that was too bad. So, um, yeah, and so when you come to the other side of that and the book's not selling anymore and you're, you, you know, you, you're done with celebrity, get me out of here, and that's not booking. <laughs> you know, they were both sitting at the on the other side saying like, well, what, what is my next move if it's not in this general entertainment capacity, you know? And so he'd always come up with new reality ideas and pitch me ideas and stuff like that. But I think that was sort of the, the, the reality of that world that it's just, he was missing a lot of the elements that a lot of the other kids had gone through. Yeah, and it's interesting now, I feel like, reality stars after him have learned the lesson that like if you're not working on those other brands and tentacles of your own brand while you're doing your reality show to kind of have that fallback you know like all the real housewives yeah. have got you know they know if they want to last they're going to have to come up with that liquor line and yeah. that you know apparel line and yeah. all that stuff so that like there's a shelf life beyond the reality yeah and to be fair he they were a little early in the process yeah. Yeah. If, the, if they had the exact same run now, even with the same backlash, they would still, they would have been able to capitalize on it and monetize on it on a longer scale because there's more access to the YouTubers and connecting with your fans and getting, and getting direct income and revenue from having popularity, good or bad. There's an easier way to capitalize on it now than it was 10 years ago. Yeah, I think there's a backlash in general. I'm wondering what you think about that. Like when you develop shows now with, you know, sort of semi-celebs or wannabe celebs that, I don't know, I have this visceral reaction now that if someone really wants to do that and it, it's transparent and they're using the, they're going into it saying, well, this will be good for X or this would be good for Y. It's a turnoff at this point. Well, I can't, you can't even really sell those anymore. I mean, right. it, 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 I, get a, I get a lot of those pitches yeah. where it's like they want to build a brand they want to do something. They want to invest in something, so they'll do a reality show around it. And it's like, yeah, not they. Those stopped working years ago, and now they're they're hard to sell because without a level of authenticity, there really is no way to connect to the audience because the audience can get you and elements to you and all the information about you that's on the surface anywhere at any time. What the audience really connects to, especially in that docu follow me around type feel is access and a connection that they can't get in any other medium. And that's sort of what TV holds. TV says, I, I'm going to put you right into this living room where you can sort of watch, quote unquote, fly on the wall, what life is like. And people have a fascination with that. So when a celebrity comes in and sort of only wants to give me little pieces or I get it, well, I don't want it to be the blank, blank show. Like, it's not going to be my reality show. It's like, well, then, then who cares? there's a thousand other people that want to have it their reality show. And that's where the audience sort of draws the line now it's it's fickle it's very different it's very tough out there it is that's interesting really interesting um all right so jumping ahead so then you went to the network side to tlc yeah so it was about four years at grb yeah great run with growing up gaudy great run with intervention um real fun there did and you work with the left right guys on growing up gaudy didn't they do that yeah too? with banks and them yeah. yeah so they were the ones that really sort of had to deal with all the crap i mean i was you know executive office selling okay. shows and stuff. Those guys were in the field dealing with all this stuff. I mostly heard all the crazy fun stories. <laughs> right, right. Um, and, the, you know, the the owner of GRB, Gary Benz, was connected to Victoria. So God. he had to deal with a whole bunch of shit, too. So I really... I didn't they have all paid any, in cash. Yeah, I didn't get... Yeah. Well, there was lots of crazy <laughs> stuff. But, I, you know, I didn't have I didn't have to deal with too much of that, that craziness. Okay. And again, that was really early in the process. That was one of the first big wild character docuseries to, to get traction like that and it was hard for everybody to realize when you get that level of sort of out there character it comes at a price like there are those characters don't turn it off when the cameras turn off they are big <laughs> out there characters and so i think banks and those guys they 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 were learning a lot too it was like whoa like they are really doing some kooky crazy stuff and uh the network was learning it was just yeah it was it was a wild that was a wild run yeah so and then, so you were responsible, or you at least had a big hand in John and K plus eight at TLC, right? I mean, it, it's, it's a funny story now that I'm so far removed from it. I'll tell yeah. you that the answer to that is sort of no, not uh, really. Okay. The truth is, is that at the time, I didn't even watch the episode when we put it on the air. We found the time slot for it, and I was supposed to watch it, and it was on my desk, and everybody was saying, we got to pick a show for this time slot. We really need something in the family space. And there was three or four things on the desk that were like, hey, this could be an option, this could be an option, this could be an option. And... John and Kate was one of them. And 
I t- there was other stuff going on. I never actually watched the episode. So I finally asked. I was like, which one of these rated the best on Discovery Health or wherever it was? Right, because it was a special yeah. first. Yes. And so it was John and K plus eight. And I was like, great, let's just do that. So they moved it and moved into that time slot. And it wasn't until the show caught fire that I was like, oh, wow, let's see what this is. And I remember the dread when I watched it the first time thinking, oh, crap. If someone else watches this, I'm going to get fired because <laughs> it's not produced the way that you would expect, as particularly in those early seasons. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to get fired when someone figures this out. Right. The irony is, of course, I got fired anyways. This is a whole other <laughs> thing. But what was interesting was, is that I then wanted to make changes on it. And I wanted to look at maybe bringing a different producer that had more skills or whatever. And that's right. And if if I had been able to do that, because we ended up getting talked out of moving producers and we gave them some more money, but it wasn't a lot because they were already in the midst of the production. So it didn't really help. If I had done any of those things, if I had seen it, if I had given more, if I had made the changes in production and if I had given it to a production company, that show never would have been a success. I so love that shows that what story. I know. Yeah. You know? Well, no, it's a great example because I've talked to a lot of people about this, about, you know, a lot of times network executives are too hands on and they can ruin a show. So, yes. you know, there's that fine By the way, I, line. I'm sure I did that too. I know. No, but, yes. it, but in fact, also, I, can, I can name one that I did that too. So, yeah, well, I think the reason that probably worked in that case, and I'm sure you've thought about this a million times is because she was like the monster that wasn't a monster right from the get-go. She had it in her. Yes. But that the cameras and the sort of fame that grew. I mean, if you watch that special, I've seen that special. Yeah. Like, you couldn't necessarily tell that you were going to have a character in her. No, and I, like I said, I, I think that if I had watched, I wouldn't have seen it, <laughs> right. which is sad. And I listen, I, it, this is the nature of this business, right? Like, if you, if you go out there enough, you will meet someone who created or... Did pimp, like pit my ride is sort of the joke. Like everybody created that show. Like I've met with, right. I met with when I've interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people for jobs. Like somebody will say they created pit my ride, right? And so biggest and, loser. And everybody, yeah, biggest <laughs> loser is another one. But everybody sort of does that, right? Yeah. And so as you get a little more distance from those things, and yeah, we I was at the network when John and Kate became a huge hit. But the reality is, is like, was I a contributing factor that to that like? Not only was I not a contributing factor, I, like me not being involved was the contributing factor, I believe in that, you know, and there's been other ones. And by the way, like intervention is another perfect yeah. example of that. Yeah. Yes, I, I love to be able to point to it. And so far now I don't point to it nearly as much, but I used to be able to point to that all the time. And like, yes, intervention. Yeah. <laughs> right. But the truth is, is the network had sort of a general idea for that. They came to us whether we could crack it. Okay. The team that cracked it was like, no, like I had nothing to do with how they, that was the hardest, most difficult production to crack so much luck involved so much perfection in circumstance and it's like i rode that wave and it's great and it's all good but no but i think there's so much of that in this business yeah and i I appreciate that humility because especially you know me being new to hollywood and the way it works like you're gonna take credit for every damn show not you but one is gonna ride those waves everywhere they can get it because that shows how important you are And it's like, particularly early in your career where you have a body work that's very small, you're like, you have to, but you're the one who did everything, right? (laughs) Right. So that's a a very standard sort of thing. And even though, you know, in launching this new company, I've been interviewing so many people for various positions and I even network people who are out of their jobs or moving jobs. There's a lot of talk about this show and I launched this and this and it's, and you want to say like, hey, you know, I think everybody knows how much goes into these things and how much luck and how much how many other people go in to make these things work? And listen, I've had lots of shows that I was intimately connected to every element that goes into something to make it a hit. And I've been intimately connected to things that weren't a hit and on all sides. So you you sort of do that. And even now, like Bar Rescue is a, a really good example. Yeah. Yes. Did I, you know, the, the John Taffer element and getting it to the network and selling it to the network and crafting all that stuff. I was there every second of that. But... You know, the guys in the field who massage this through, the network notes at 15, 18, 20 different rounds and the pushback and the, no, we're not doing this. And yes, we're doing that. Like there are so many people that go into that. And then that show's not any better than any millions of other shows that have been made. It just caught at the right moment and the right time with the right character on the right network on the right day. And the, all of those things happen. It is so like winning a lottery ticket it is so let's break that down for a minute so was the idea yours no it came in uh it came in from an outside producer that had found john taffer we ended up crafting the idea to be a format more right the truth is and i've told the story sparsely but i didn't like john when i saw him on camera i didn't think he was overly likable 
and he wasn't um, TV friendly, you know, he sort of, so it wasn't an instinct for me like, hey, this is, we got to have this instantly. So the story goes, I saw that day and I said, so I shared it with the network saying, do you, do you like this guy? Is this something you love? And they responded back right away. I said, he's fantastic. Amazing. And, and you I love him too. And I was like, <laughs> I know that's why I sent him to you. So How many times have we all done Yeah. That? So then, you know, we go through the process of putting it all together. They order a pilot. We go make the pilot. We, you know, we convince them how we're going to do it. And I remember specifically we made the pilot and they were like, this is the worst thing we have ever seen ever. And I'm going to go back and redo a bunch of stuff. And they wanted someone to come in the edit bay. And there were so many elements that went into it. It was like, it was not lightning in a bottle. Why didn't it, it was, work the first time? I it, Listen, I think we thought it worked when we sent it to them the first time. And yes. it, it just, that's the way this business is. Like, yeah. Right. The networks don't like the first cut. Sometimes yeah. they do. Most times they don't. Right. They, they, they get, they get, they have a picture in their mind. And I've been in the network. You get a picture of your mind after you've been pitched it, after you've been on the set for a day or so, and people show you stuff, and maybe you see a daily. You sort of get a vision in your mind of what this thing can look like. And surprisingly enough, the picture in your mind is pretty finished and it's pretty polished. <laughs> so when you get a rough cut, it doesn't usually match up to that. So yeah. you a lot of times you'll get a pushback, and there's an overall dread feeling of, oh my God. What a disaster this is. This can't be fixed. Uh, oh, how, why did I hire you to do this? You guys don't see the vision. There's a lot. Like, you get that every once in a while. Well, and, also, and by every once in a while, I mean quite a bit. So. Yeah, like every day. The, yeah. And the other thing is, I mean, I don't care how many times you have a network executive saying, of course I know how to watch a rough cut. Yes. I don't know how to watch rough cuts. It, no, well, it, it should be fixed. There is no way to watch a rough cut. You can't. <laughs> unless is. you put the rough cut together, you can't watch it as a rough cut. That's it. That's a great, great and so, point. And that's, and that's fine. And some network executives are, the only difference is the network executives that are a little bit easier on you don't tell you all the things they're feeling after they watch the rough cut. And then the network executives that are a little bit tougher on you, they tell you everything they're feeling after the rough cut. But don't be, don't, don't think that they're feeling different things. You know, they right. are feeling <laughs> and seeing the you. same thing. They still think it's a piece of crap. <laughs> um, and so you just, and then what happens is the more you watch it, the more you become accustomed to what you're seeing. And I know Craig Pelligian has an amazing story on a on a rough cut that got rejected and was basically telling him it was absolutely terrible. And it went 15 or 12 or 19 different rounds back and forth until finally he said, send them the, the original rough cut. That's what we're going with. And he got notes back saying, oh, my God, this was amazing. Oh, that's the best. And he's like, yeah, this was the original rough cut, which in theory, I know that what he's trying to say in the story and what it is, like, see how silly they are. But really, it's like, after you become accustomed to it and seeing it and used to the footage and inside it, now the things you're seeing, even if it was the original, feel more natural to you. They, they connect better. So um, I think that's a big sort of piece of that puzzle. Is yeah, just, that's an interesting way to look that. at it. So um, just to back up, so Bar Rescue was a show that you did with uh, Spike when you were at, so you went from TLC Oh, yeah, so when I went to TLC, I went to 3-Ball. Um, three ball, three ball became iWorks, but I feel like everyone still calls it three yeah, ball. Yeah, it's a good, it's an interesting story because it, it was yeah. bought by the Dutch company iWorks, right. um, stayed three ball for a couple of years, and then the main Dutch guy wanted to change it to be iWorks, and so we collectively, JD, Todd, Ross, myself, were like, "That is a terrible idea." There's a huge brand here. We've been having a you know a really spectacular run. Don't undo that. And the big Dutch guy was like, "I don't care about that." Every company that we buy and want to change their name says the exact same thing. But this is how this works. We change it all to the same name. We put it all for sale as one big, huge, giant conglomerate. And the price goes up through the roof. And so he just did that. And nobody cared whether we called it iWorks or 3Ball. We, everybody still remained as 3Ball. Then he sold the company. So he sold iWorks just like he was planning to, to Warner Brothers. But the irony was is Warner Brothers didn't want to pay the money for the U.S. production entity. It was just too, we were too large to justify that price point considering they already had Shed and a bunch of other companies domestically. So after much negotiation, they said, why don't we just carve the U.S. out completely? Dutch guy, you keep that. We'll take everything else. Off you go. So when he came back, so the Dutch guy then got this three ball back to himself and Warner Brothers like, well, you can't call it iWorks anymore. So now it's three ball. Guys. So then he was like, what are we going to do? And the natural thing was, well, let's just change it back to three ball. Barely anybody will notice. And so we just sent out an email saying we're three ball again. And that was about it. So, That's crazy. Yeah. So you were there for six years. Six years. Yeah. I started as head of development and then uh, recently I was the president and chief creative officer. So 
I haven't had a head of development on uh, yet, and that's actually what I do as well. Talk to the uninformed about what a development person does. Like, what's what's a typical day? So, I mean, that that job as a head of development was a little bit different because my only role and job was to craft and create and pitch and sell shows and monitor and, and develop that process. So it really is filtering the ideas that come in if, the, if that's part of the business or crafting and creating new ones internally and then having an idea is great, but really the, the, the core skill of a development executive is to sort of understand which ideas are what I call one yard line ideas, ideas that you can, you can push and pull and polish, but they're never getting past the one yard line. They're never going to get to the goal. And it's really hard to do that because you can make, I always say, you can, you can make anything almost a TV show. Yeah. Any idea can be almost on TV. And Eli so Hulsman was in here just real yeah. quick and they were talking about that. They actually said polishing a turd, which yes. is how they called it. Yeah. That like you can sell it, you can get it there, but you can't probably make it. Like it, you can make anything good enough, but yes. when you actually have to sit there and make the series, you realize yeah. you may not have a show there. Is that what you mean? Yeah, and, and that's a that's sort of stage the stage two of the development <laughs> process. Stage one is still saying like Is it even worth is it worth taking? building a deck and making a sizzle yeah. and going out and setting meetings and spending a bunch of time creatively and even financially to get this show out and into the marketplace. It's really hard to know which ones could actually get to the next level, which you're going to get a yes for, which you're going to get a development deal for. Like, And nobody's right all the time, but the more times you're right about the things not to work on will dictate more of your success than the things you're right on which to work on because you'll always get things out there that are going to work. The question is, are you spending so much time on things that aren't quite going to work it doesn't allow you to get enough good things out there. Absolutely. So, and do you believe in putting a hundred things against the wall, or is it more like the twenty things? Um, my process on that has is greatly evolved. Um, when I first moved to the to the country in Canada, I shot my own TV show with my own money and couldn't really edit it together. I didn't have enough money, so I put together this amazing sizzle that at the time no one else had really been doing yet. And it was only because I had no choice. And so when I moved here and my agent at the time, Sean Perry, and who's my agent now, um, had basically used that, look what this kid crafts and creates. This is how he develops. And so he was very strict in those early years of making sure that everything that I went out to in the marketplace was spectacularly put together, that the material was over the top and that the things I was building were just like really there. So that was a bit of my calling card for a long time. And putting yourself in the sizzles, right? I'd heard that, that was a very, that's a very new <laughs> development, but it's sort of an evolution of how do you move things to the next level. But now it's a little different in, in the process. And so I'm a little bit more numbers oriented now um, because I feel like my filter has matured to where I have a pretty good idea which ideas are going to get some traction or not. And it's very difficult to get emotionally collected like connected to a show and not have it go. I've had that happen so many times that it's like I've realized it's that it's, yeah, and it's not working on a really good idea more does not get it to sell more <laughs> often. And that's really hard to, to sort of accept. And it's particularly like that when you go into the network development system. If a network's giving you money to develop a show, spending more and more time and energy and creativity and getting more invested doesn't make it more likely to get through to series. And is it a case by case basis? Like, is that, and I, we're, you know, jumping all around, but in terms of, you know, even your development now, are you like, you know what, we really could just go in with the talent, or we could just go in with the deck, or we could just go in with Skype? Are you putting together, are you still putting together Paula Sizzle Reels? Like, where have you yeah, involved in that it, sense? I've definitely been involved in that because, again, I, I'm much more into the volume of how many things I can get out and, and get in there because statistically, if you get enough in, in the market, and throwing it up against the wall is not really the term, but it's you got to get quality projects to market. So my goal is to get as many quality projects into the sales market as I possibly can because I know that statistically that'll yield the most traction. Um, I spend as much time in those early development pieces on how to sell the show as I do on what the show is because this business has evolved and it's mature. And so any development executive at any network at any level is going to understand the bones of a show incredibly quickly. So we hope. Yeah. But particularly in the initial pitches and stuff like they, they kind of know where you're going with it as soon as you sort of lay out the pieces. So my goal is to make that as clean and clear as possible and to be able to illustrate that. And so I'm instantly as soon as I've got the outline of a show, I'm looking at, OK, how do I get this in front of the right people with the right what I call war making the room warm so that they're in the right mode to watch the tape or feel like, how do I set that stage? Am I attaching talent? Am I, am I 
sending them something? Am I adding something different? Like what, what can I do to sort of build that? So I spent a lot of time on how that sales process is going to work. So what's give us one good example of that, like where you've sent something in advance or you um, warm the room. I like well, that expression. A lot of time it's it's about information and, and disseminating the information throughout the network sort of structure. If you're dealing with a development executive and you're getting all your information from and to them, it's very limited so that if you're at E and you uh, have a sizzle rail that you're working on a development piece and Jeff Old's never seen it yet or heard of the project in, in, in a lot of detail, he has a different view. Whereas if I can have a conversation with him at lunch, tell him how excited I am about the project and hear some of the elements and, and uh, Noah's been a great, he's helped, you know, and like you build the idea that, hey, you know, I'm really excited about this project. And so that he'll have an idea of what he's looking at or what he's expecting or what he's seeing. And I think that helps. Or in the pitch, like, you know, we, we had a big pitch one time. It was sort of a flash mob asks. So I was able to get the executives to come meet me somewhere. And then we did a flash mob for them in the room right there. Wow. Um, so that was like, I needed to show that. Like, we had a cooking we had a cooking one that I had to have executives come to an actual test kitchen and, and watch it happen live in the studio, which was kind of cool. Did that one sell? Uh, it did. Um, and then we had a another one. We had one where we were pitching a game show. And so and it involved various acts and being able to remember elements in the acts. And so I was like, I think I'm just going to bring them in the room. And so we brought Shaolin monks. Cry, you know, kung fuing around. That was that was kind of cool and that stuff. And you know, lately, just in the process of with this game show that we've um, sold, is I, you know, I built the the game show in my office on my glass walls, like drawing boxes of where the questions would go and move, so that I could play it and rehearse it. And as we got finished, where we figured like we had the game cracked, it was like, man, I wish I could like bring people to the office so they could see it, the outline written on the board. And so we ended up just duplicating these this huge glass version of this board. So I was bringing in this eight foot, huge printed gigantic board into every one of these pitch meetings. How, how did you transport it? <laughs> in the back of my truck, I had to like wow. put it into pieces. And I was at Home Depot on the weekend building with like a stand to put the tea. Because then it's like, well, yeah, the board's there, but it needs video. So we had to build a stand with a TV built into it. And God, so, please tell me that's old. I'm in the midst of it right now. I'm in the last final run through for I it. Mean, so it's a big piece. A yeah. for effort here. Like you're, I mean, I think, I hate to use the expression thinking outside the box because it's the most yeah. cliche, but I mean, I, I don't think a lot of development executives really go to sort of those creative lanes to sell stuff. Well, I think that that is a big piece of this puzzle is um, you have to be passionate about what you're doing. I always tell people though that but passion is not a blanket that you can just throw over everything. It's more like a wave that comes in and out and back and forth. Um, and so you have to know when to be passionate about a project and why and that you're doing it justifiably. A right. lot of producers have what I call unjustifiable passion. Yeah. They're passionate about a really right. piece of shit idea. Right. And so then it, not only does it not going to get the idea yeah. to sell, but it makes me question their judgment, their value, right. their taste. Or the and, agents that are yeah. like, this is the and best you're like, ah. going to see. And you're like, so, it's not really. You know, if I really feel like I've got, like this game, I really feel like I had cracked it. I really feel like it was something there. Like even if it wasn't something that was going to sell and and certain networks passed on it because they're not in the game mode or whatever, yeah. I knew that I'd at least be leaving that meeting saying like that was a good that was a good pitch, that was a good game, that was well constructed. And so be, seeing that I had put the much effort into it so you could really play it through at every step helps. And I think, you know, good producers and good development executives have that system really well where you can sort of feel that they... You can feel what the show is going to look like from them. That's a, an important piece. So you have, is your passion sort of um, genre specific or is it just show specific? Like, do you just love game shows? Do you No, love it's, it, it really is. I, I have a passion for selling shows and being successful. <laughs> and so I would like to really make that bigger and better than I am now. You know, like that's really where I'm at now at stage of my yeah. career. I spent a lot of time making a lot of people an, an, an enormous amount of money. <laughs> and so I waited till the market got as difficult as it possibly could be. The, one of the worst times for TV where everybody's saying TV's a problem. After everybody cleared out and sold their show, their companies that they built for tens of millions of dollars, I said, okay, now's my time to get in. So well, but, I'm very late to the party, but like... But in a good way, I mean, you did, and, and I want to just quickly get you know, get the bridge to get there so that we understand the, the evolution. But you spent um, six years at three ball and then rose to the ranks, became the president of the company. 
And then, like you said, we're ready to, to spin off, but you ended up doing so. I want to talk about this whole overall pod deal and yeah. and because I think it's interesting and I don't think people a lot of people understand exactly what it was. So you decided to go out on your own. Yeah. You wanted to build a company within I wanted to build a bigger a company. company. Well, I mean, I wanted to build a company and I wanted someone else to pay for it. Right, okay. That's really what it boils down to. <laughs> nice. And if you want to do that, there's only a couple of options. You have private equity financiers, the people who are not in the business that are going to just give you money to be, hey, I think it's cool to have an ownership in these sort of things. Um, You have production companies on a larger scale that will bring you in-house so that they can produce the shows and you sell it for them. Or you have sort of a studio or sort of tangential connection to this business where they want to expand their business. So I looked at all three of those, had several options that I explored in all of those areas. And we all, everybody who goes into this mode um, has a different look at it. And Eli Holtzman's a perfect example. He and I talked a lot because we were in very similar positions. He ran a big company, I ran a big company. We came into the same issues with our big companies and we came to the sort of same decision about, I think we're going to, I think I'm going to go out my own. Um, our timing wasn't as aligned as, as it could have been. And some days I wish it was better, but, um, cause I love that guy and yeah. he's, he's, he's great. And there was an idea that if he and I partnered together, That'd be a pretty deadly wow. combination, right? Wow. So yes, we got, we got all lathered up thinking about it. Um, <laughs> and he's got that undercover boss. Yeah, he's got those undercover bosses helping. Yeah. Him. So, but that, but for him, that was the ideal right. situation. Somebody who's not connected, who's going to stay out of his way, yeah. who he can go do everything and build. And he he's very like he likes to build. You could tell he likes to build. He likes to produce. He wants to be in that trenches. I'm a little bit less like that. It's like I don't really feel. I didn't feel like scrounging and and getting in there and right. buying my own stuff and re- renting it back to myself. Right. That's Building a lot. Building database. It's like, yes, I'm. that's going to end up being part of the business. But for me, that was a little bit more work. And when STX came to the table, they were a very interesting piece because they are a huge movie company. They have a ton of money, this Chinese sort of world that they're bringing in and that territory. And they're sort of like a young new hip studio type thing but they aren't they weren't oppressive in the idea of here's what we want to do in unscripted and here's what we want to do and here's how we want your company to fit in they were we'll we'll fund what you need to do and we're going to help you whatever you need and let's go kick some ass and everything will be great so they they came in and, and basically said like you know we'll we'll lay out the parameters and and give you the runway and, and build the infrastructure for you, but you go and make it all happen and everyone will be one wildly successful if it works. And that for me was the best scenario. And you're one of the first two pods that they have under yeah. Jason Goldberg, who used to be Ashton Kutcher's partner at yep. Catalyst, right? Yeah. So he's now their head of unscripted TV, which they've never had. So never all had. kind of brand new territory. Yeah, and, and that really was him working with them saying like, I can bring a spectacular element to this studio and work with, China and and develop these formats and craft this and then him going to the marketplace and now I got to put some players in place that can go and craft these formats and build this sort of element and work domestically to make that happen so um so you're just looking at formats then for the company in terms um of well I, I mean I wouldn't say just formats so any anything in domestic television is basically okay I, I you know I have a docuseries right now and I have a few that I develop I develop whatever comes my way as soon as it comes my way in any way shape or form and I'm very happy to get anything that will sell anywhere. So and people I'm, can reach you at. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm open to anything at this point. It's it, when you're starting out, it's it's a different creative vibe. Running a big company takes you out of the creative process a lot, but it also is a different. It's a a different layer of how you work. You know, I when I was running the company, I was working on putting out fires most of the day. And even development got to be about putting out fires. Hey, here's an idea. What are you doing in this? And then you in and out of these ideas and these people and these meetings and these connected employees and all this stuff. And then when, when you get in your own company, especially where I'm at, where it's like, okay, just got to go sell some shows. What are we working on? It's like nothing but creating an idea. It's amazing how much slower those the waves of productivity are where it's like you can go work on an idea for two hours, which that would not have happened before. So it's it's a very refreshing sort of feeling. And are you keeping your team lean and mean? Like, how are you building a team? Uh, I'm, I mean, it depends who I would be. I, I describe it to STX as lean and mean, of course. <laughs> but the vibe when I went out into the marketplace was, listen, I had a good run at three ball. We, we were able to sell and produce and create a lot of TV. 
and I had a certain sort of set of resources at that company at my disposal, and I used those very effectively to be able to create this sort of um, this success for that department. And the vibe when I went out with my business plan was, hey, give me the same resources, I'll deliver you somewhere near the same success. Right, and people trust you. Like, it doesn't really matter what company you're for. I mean, people probably, you know, whenever they say, if someone buys a show from you tomorrow, they're not going to say, yes, it's from Envelop. They're going to say, yeah, it's Brands. Yes, and so the, the idea is you hope that over the next couple of years, I can, I can develop in the company enough of a structure that it's Brand and Envelop, and then it becomes Envelop. You'd, you'd like to see that happen. Um, but that's a, it's a difficult thing to do, you know, because we all deal with this level of insecurity in our value in the marketplace. Everybody feels, um, John Sadeh, who is the former head of ABC, said this, and it was just brilliant. He's like, we all feel like we're one bad email away from everyone finding out we're a fraud. <laughs> and like, that's sort of this business where it's like, are, we, are any of us qualified for these jobs? Like, really? Like, I don't have any other marketable skills. Like, you talk about Spencer being out, like, if reality TV went away, what the heck would I do? And I've always felt like that way. So when you leave the sort of construct of fancy title and, and you know, controlling millions of dollars at your disposal, being able to hire and fire people and, and change lives, like, you get a lot of leeway in who's going to call you back when and who wants to be your friend. And, and that's at a high-level production company. And it's more so at a network. And so when you leave those positions, there's a lot of insecurity of like, is someone going to be say it's from Brant? Like, is that going to be okay? Am I going to have the same number of friends? Are people going to call me back? Am I going to get the same level of meetings? And that's, are you? That's diff- I mean, it, it's been a rewarding experience being out there. It, it's been good. It's been affirming. It hasn't been super easy, but it's, you know, it's, it's nice. But you, I still feel that every day. Every time I make a phone call, it's sort of like, Oh, he calls me back. And then you're like, if he didn't call me back, what would I do? Like, I don't have any leverage. I'm just me. And then, you know, well, in but fact, that's was, hard for, it, it's definitely hard. And you, and you, you're concerned about that as, yeah. as when you go out and you're on, you're always wondering like, you know, of all these relationships that I build, how real are they? Right. And probably they're real to the extent that they know you're still going to bring them good ideas that are going to yep. sell. I mean, not, yes. to, not to boil it down to something totally superficial. I'm sure you have real friendships out there too. Oh, but yeah. You're as good as your last show. You're as good as your last idea. And listen, everybody <laughs> says, like, even when we are going out and, and business plan, they're like, wow, but you have all these relationships. And, I, and and part of me, and a lot of times I said, I said, listen, I got to be honest, like, it's not as valuable as you think it is. Years ago, it, it was because it was, again, it's a little bit more of the Wild West and, and networks could take risks something and they could throw you things and, and you could try different things. That's not what they like out there. Your best friend could be the head of the network and... <laughs> I have that. And it doesn't really buy you a lot because they don't have the ability to just toss out stuff for a crappy idea because it's you. That's not going to happen. And so you don't really have to have the same level of relationships that you used to. Now it's more like, can you make it? Is it a good idea? Can I sell it up? Can we give it a shot? Like those are, it's more important about that than it's ever been before. It is, but conversely, even if it's a good idea, sometimes if they don't know the person or the production company, they won't green light it because they're just too scared to give it to them. They're either going to give it to someone else or just not put it through. And, and, you know, listen, I spent a lot of time in the business, so I feel like I've got a good, a good one up on that sort of level, but it just, at the same time, it's like, I just got to make good ideas. Nothing I do or say or the connections or the people that I've known for years can really help you get an average idea on the air. Right. It it takes a it takes a village to get these things on the air. It takes a lot of luck. And that's that's really just the stage of getting on the air. It is it is a Herculean effort to get something to work and come back for multiple seasons at this point. And that is and everything has to go right. And yeah. it's hard to do. It's really hard to do. It's hard to do, and there's no secret formula either. No, not the things that no. you think are going to work don't work. You know, I mean, it, it's it's just random. So, like, I, the bar rescue is a great yeah. example. Well, and, I, and I, I even had that in my business plan as a, as a, as part of my really? sort of belief system is that I don't get emotionally attached to the ideas during the process because I've had too many shows that I was wildly passionate about that I thought were just amazing and wonderful that tanked. And I've had a lot of shows that I didn't feel like that. And I thought I didn't do a great job producing this. It's not great. Even some of the talents like, yeah, it's okay. And then they raided and you're like, what the hell do I know? Right. You know, and, and there's a lot of that. And you watch a show on TV and you're like, how did that get on? And it's like, it's cause nobody really knows. It's sort of like a real crapshoot out there. So my goal is to get as many things on the air, close my eyes, cross my fingers, say a little prayer and hope for the best 
And if you get enough of them in that mode, something will hit. And just one more question about the pod deal. You did a really good job of explaining it to people. So in terms of you know, how it works. So they give you X amount of, it's like a minimum guarantee, and then you end up having to split your production fee. Is that kind of the standard across the board? Pretty standard across the board. I mean, the the real sort of diversity on that is um, what happens in the midst of a production. So there are certain production companies you do a deal with, they handle all the production, all the billbacks, all the elements of that piece, and there's a production margin that that they end up realizing. And from the company's perspective, that's the justification for paying you the quote-unquote guarantee that they're shelling out guaranteed. And on the return, on the IFCOM is, if they get a series or two, they can make good money on that. So that's one structure. Um, and it's common at, at a certain level of producer where you know y- you need some some juice from that production company that helps you you know put you in better rooms and better production things. Right. Um, you know, the, the next sort of level is a little bit of like, the company will fund the process of running the company and you oversee the production and all the things and the elements of that and you all share in the upside um and then and then the other piece is hey i'll give you money to run the company i just want a piece of the equity of the company and anything that happens good bad or indifferent i'm part of and so you you sort of run the gamut on that um and for me it was just like i wanted to be my own entity i wanted a real chance at at upside at this point um i wasn't really interested in you know hedging too much on the downside so mm-hmm. i found a nice because it's just i'm you know i got kids and i'm old and, yeah and i'm just you need you know, that four long yeah <laughs> it's just like i just don't have it in me to go yeah you no, know it's scary and there's a lot of producers that have done that yeah from scratch and built something from their own bootstraps and and you know like jenny daly is a perfect example like I look at her and I have for years and just said, I couldn't, I can't do what she did. I couldn't do that. Like I had lots of, I had lots of opportunities during my run at three ball to go out on my own. And I almost did it once. Um, and then I went back and it's just because I just didn't have quote unquote, the balls to really put it out there. And someone like Jenny Daly did, and she's aptly rewarded for it. And someone like Sally Ann Salsano did and aptly rewarded and Jason Carbone. And there are, there are a list of that level of producers at that stage in their careers now that you're like, yeah, they really, they really put it out there. And there was times where it was like, I'm sure it was almost going to be the last day. And, and I look at that, the ugly bros, Tim and Mike, who I love. They're coming on. And you know what? They're ballsier than I am. They were willing to take bigger risks and put themselves out there in a way that I just couldn't. Well, See, I think you're and kind they, of minimum. You know, I mean, you're kind of doing. I mean, I know you have this umbrella company, but you know, you're still doing it, and you're still building your own thing. I yes, mean, it's not like you're. You and know, there are lots of days I wake up and go, "What the <laughs> hell did I do? Yeah. Why did I do this? I should have taken that other job." Right, you could have still had a cushier, cushier yes. job. Yes, and you had them. Yes. So you and yeah, yes, I, I wake up like that, but it's it. not. <laughs> again, when you well, you'll have Tim and Mike on here, and when you you'll you'll see that there's a difference. Yeah, those guys really put it out there, and I and I wildly respect them for that. And um, that's just tough to do. And yeah. so, you know, in the in the marketplace, you know, I, I happen to be out in a very good time for where I was in my career. And I think that the skill of being able to craft and create shows from scratch and being able to get them on the air, oversee them, no production, have relationships with, you know, the, the powers that be in the business and be able to be completely autonomous is rare right now. You know, and that's why I think Eli and I, found the same sort of thing like oh hey there's a lot of opportunity for us yeah. out here and and Eli could have taken any number of many 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 different offers yeah and so he chose what would satisfy his sort of needs and I sort of chose what would satisfy mine and it's funny because I bet all the people that you mentioned none of them would have the balls to make a documentary and put themselves front and center in that documentary well it could be that they didn't have the balls or the lack of sort of research and <laughs> ideas and they would have figured out like maybe they shouldn't do that on their own with their own money. See, that's probably where they figured that. It was so, great. I didn't figure so, okay, that. Okay, so Brand's done a documentary called Why I'm Not on Facebook, which we alluded well, to at the yeah. beginning. And uh, so you're not on Facebook. You weren't on Facebook. No. So what was the impetus for making a doc about it? Truth was, is I I, had, I was going to go out on my own. I was with 3Ball. I, I had left them. I was in an overall deal with them. And I was coming to the near the end of it, and I was deciding what to do. And I was in that mode. And I was watching a documentary that was not very good. And yet this guy was up there as directed by, starring, written by. And I was like, man, I could have done that. <laughs> like, I, and I said out loud, I was like, I could have made that movie. Like, 
I could have written that. And then I was like, wait a minute. I can. I could have done. And so then I just decided at that moment, I was like, that's it. I'm making a film. Like, I'm going to be a filmmaker. That's it. I'm just going to do it. And I decided I was going to spend $35,000 and I was just going to make one. And the only thing I wanted to do was someday get it in like a DVD shrink wrap that like really was a real movie. And so I started on the idea of like what what was passionate, where could I put the idea, what was I going to do? Um, and it coincided exactly when my youngest son was, or my oldest son, sorry, was asking me about Facebook. And I had always been like, I'm not Facebook, Facebook's not there. And I think it was my wife or, or, or her sister just said like, that'd be a fun documentary. It's like, why you're not on Facebook? And it was like, ding. Um, and I set out to make a Michael Moore-esque expose on Facebook and just really give it to them and give these aha moments like 60 minutes would show up in the parking lot and you know <laughs> and um it just didn't go that way it, I, I shot stuff like that and then one of my editor guys that i was helping do some graphics early he just said this sucked i mean it's really terrible what, what you've done here is just a total waste of time like there's four scenes that work it's all the scenes with you in them that's what this documentary should be it should be totally your journey mm. about you and with your kids so I have an entire crap, even crappier documentary <laughs> on the cutting room floor. And then I Why just. Why this is not in theaters. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so then I just decided to just follow the story. Like I tell every single star and every single show and every celebrity and every character and everybody I've ever talked to and produced a million times over. I was like, you just got to let it go. You just got to follow the story. Just yeah. don't worry. Just be yourself. Let, let people in. And so there was a lot of that. It was <clears throat> very difficult to do for me. Um, do you want water? I don't. Okay. Well, you know what's cool? So I don't want to give too much away, but um, tonally, first of all, it was really light and fun. And it's funny that it started as sort of a yes. hard hitting, you know, in your face, Mike Wells, because it was like, that was exactly the opposite. Yeah. And my, I have to say my favorite, you have, you, first of all, you could tell for me at least that it was done by an unscripted producer because it moved so fast and not in a way like, oh, I blinked, I missed it, but like. The transitions were seamless. It really, you touched on like 17 different, if I had taken notes, like, I don't know how many topics, but I didn't know what to expect, yeah. right? Like, like really sort of all, you know, how Facebook can sometimes ruin a marriage and that was pretty heavy scene that I won't get yeah. into and how people, you know, put their whole life yeah. on Facebook. You might, so my favorite scene is when the guy puts his, <laughs> so basically Brant creates a, an alias, Steve Steele. Steve Steele. And Steve's man got, of mystery, Steve, yes. <laughs> man of mystery with like, has a lot of friends. Yeah, just he's very popular. Accept his friend request. And he, you end up, one of the guys that you friend has his address in Van Nuys, right? Yeah. Um, and so you go and show up at his house. You're like, hey, we're friends on Facebook. What's up? And the guy looks at you like you're crazy. And, and I mean, honestly, like the first time you look at this guy as a viewer, you're like, he's going to kill him. Yes. And chop him up. And like in the next scene, you're like literally building a cabinet with him yeah. or something in his warehouse. And it was funny because... Um, so funny. It, I mean, anybody who's produced an episode of television knows <laughs> that there are sometimes you get an episode that just doesn't quite work. You're short on on material and you have to pull everything together and that's how I felt this 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 movie was like it was so much work to try to make it all come together and work and 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 so I had to really that's why I think the pacing worked out really well is because yeah. I was just like I have to move on to the next thing because <laughs> again a lot of stuff I shot earlier didn't work and and then I stopped producing and directing it and more starring in it and yeah. that was a very strange experience because you just you don't have time to follow and that was a good example I, I knew I wanted that scene. I knew I wanted to approach somebody that put their address on it. Once I saw someone who put their address on, which I didn't know people did. <laughs> turns out either. It's, so it's in Van Nuys. I was like, you know what? We got to go there. So I had blocked out sort of a three-day window. And my plan was to go and shoot a little intro in my truck right. and say like, oh, I'm going to do this, you know, and then just sort of quote unquote stalk him <laughs> and hope to get this meeting. And the plan was after three days of figuring this out at different times, if it didn't work, I would then contact him or contact someone that knew him and try to arrange something. So I was shooting the intro literally in the in my truck. I don't even know if that was going to be the final one. And there he was, like right there. So <laughs> we're just like, I didn't even have two cameras. Wow, that's cool. So I was like, oh my God, let's just go. And so yeah. we just went with it. And it's funny that anybody who watches the movie, you'll notice that the, my truck is so filthy. <laughs> I did not notice. And every time I watch it, it makes me crazy because the, <laughs> the side window of my truck is so disgusting and filthy. It's like, who would have, what sort of director would have allowed this to happen? Um, That's reality. So that was very, that was a very real experience. Cool. It, it taught me a lot. 
It um, was deep. I mean, I have to say, I did not expect like your revelation. I know. And, you know I did didn't you expect, expect to allow. That? No, absolutely not. Yeah. And I didn't expect to allow that to sort of to let the story go that way. Yeah. And to be sort of as open or vulnerable in that sense. Yeah. And so I had to wear the two hats, which is like, yeah, I'm in it, but I'm also like saying like, yeah, this is a good scene and this is a good story. And you kind like, there's no point in trying to argue that, that I don't have to go and I got to go see Dr. Drew now. I got to take, like, there's so much that, that happened that was natural from a production stand. So we knew that this story was going that way. And at the same time being like, I can't believe I'm, putting this out there so yeah the dr drew narcissist i mean i'm yeah. a howard stern listener and yeah. i won't spoil uh, the results <laughs> of the narcissism test yeah. they were so, surprising <laughs> surprising to me too sort of but not surprising <laughs> right. if i'm telling the truth uh and that's sort of my problem but the truth was is like when i was finished the movie and at a point where i could show it there i don't think there was there was nobody in our business any of my friends none of my colleagues nobody in this business that knew i was even doing it and wow. that knew it was done at all. So when I went and got, when I got into the Woodstock Film Festival, which was really cool, I was really excited about that. And I happened to go through New York, <laughs> um, do a few meetings, right. and then to go to drive to Woodstock for the festival. You know, there was a couple of people that I had told that I was going to do this for the first time. And everybody's like, what do you mean you did a documentary? They're like, well, yeah. And part of me was like, this is going to go away. And I'm so happy that I did it. But if it doesn't work, it's fine. No one will ever know. And I'll just, I can always say I did a film and, right. and that was fine. So, um, and half of it was because I really didn't feel like, half of it was because I didn't feel it was good enough in the sense that, you know, I deal with hundreds of thousands of dollars every episode and 50, 60, a hundred people on every episode. And you have all these people double checking things and working. And there's so much talent and skill that goes into an episode of television and this was so not that. This yeah, was you're just giving away the secret me, that you right? could do it. You can make something really good for yeah. thirty-five grand and just you. I wish I only spent thirty-five. Oh, okay. Uh, that was the initial. That was the initial idea. Right. Yeah, that's impressive. Right? People ask me if I'm going to make money in the movie. I'm like, if I could stop spending it, maybe. Yeah, right. Um, so the half it was that that you yeah. just didn't feel like. I felt like if I had my team, if I had my production right. team and what and everything that that came along with how I produced television, it would have been so much better. Really? Right? You yeah. still feel that way? Not as much now. Okay, good. But at the time, that was a driving factor. And also just there was a lot of personal information in that right. and personal re revelations that I was like, am I okay with this being, in, you know, particularly okay. if it's, by the way, if it's not good and you do that, that's like a double <laughs> shit. So He'll be persona non grata. So, it, you know, the Woodstock thing went relatively well, which was really nice to hear. People who didn't know me had no connection to me. You know, like the Hollywood Reporter reviewed it and it was like a pretty positive review which wow. I was shocked because they're mean to everybody yeah so I started to feel like oh this is maybe not so bad I got San Francisco Film Festival did well there and then when I got into the Manhattan Film Festival I was like well I'm gonna be in Manhattan it's playing in right I might as well so I invited everybody and uh it was really fun and I ended up winning there which was kind of wow. cool and, and so it was a, it was a good experience it was strange and would little, you do it again uh, I really wanted to make another documentary. I loved it. And uh, now I feel like I know I can really do it. Yeah. And so I haven't, I, I, and I was planning to do one and I even got it carved out of my new deal that, and I had funding for it now. And it's great. I don't have to use my own money. That would be right. fantastic. And then how will you have the time? Um, that's the problem. It? So I ended up not, I ended up postponing. I was going to be shooting it this summer. And then I just decided like, it's just not fair to me, the people I work with, to yeah. STX to, to try to deviate time now. And the movie itself, the Facebook movie, is still on its run. Right. Let so it I still got to promote that, and I and I still got a bunch of stuff coming in. They're doing a big PR thing this right now, and it's just out on DVDs, and it's gonna be on Walmart shelves and stuff like that, which is kind of cool. And Amazing. Yeah. What, so I'll let that run. And so. what struck me also is interesting is like most of our types, we are behind the camera, right? Yeah. We're not super comfortable necessarily in front of the camera. And uh, and you were really comfortable in front, but you had I had heard from other network executives over the years <laughs> that you put yourself in sizzle reels, yeah. and which I love. I think that's yeah. like, again totally unique. <laughs> well, the you know it came from the it was an evolution because it came from the idea that if you pitch a show, that person is going to have to pitch it to somebody else, and so if you give them a deck or a sizzle, that's great. But then when they go to explain it, and maybe it loses something in the translation. So I worked on a system of being able to lay out sort of a visual email almost that, yeah, you know, that talking through that. And then, and then it just evolved into this sort of like, if I wasn't in the room, is there a way I could pitch it exactly like if I was in the room? So we set up a little green screen and, 
And so for certain pitches, it worked it worked very well. And so originally what would happen is people would be like, oh my God, Branson, this sizzle, you got to see this. And so right. they, would be sharing, they would share internally and they'd send it to the boss and say like, oh, you got to watch this. And then it was almost like I was pitching it directly. So it worked very well. And I think it was a little corny and funny and yeah, but, but effective. And so uh, I use that occasionally and incorporate that when I feel it really helps the process to be able to say like, here's what I want you to think right. of now. Now we're going to move into this idea. Yeah. Now I want you to think about this. Now yeah. watch this. Here's how it ends. Let me let me put the conclusion to it. Now I think you want to buy it. Like <laughs> that's the flow of these pitches. And yeah. if I if I feel like that flow is really important to getting the overall picture of this, that system has helped being able to make that really clear. Have other executives tried to copy you? I don't think so. Yeah, I think it's pretty unique. Yeah, thing. I, I and think, you look good on camera. Right. Like I think it's you know yeah. you don't want any schlub. And I also think stuff. like if I was a different producer, I would feel like I was really copying. And it's like if it was a different industry, I would do. But you're right. gonna, you're going to show the same people who've seen it, right? And be like, so yeah. Well, I, it's actually really smart because you know it struck me when you're talking way earlier about the Jeff Old story, how you take him to lunch and kind of tell him about the pitch in case yeah. he doesn't know about it. You know, a lot of producers don't have that access. And so when you're trying to pitch up when or when yeah. you know executives and networks are trying to pitch up, they don't necessarily be able they might not be able to do it in the way that you can, like you said, because you're really good at pitching. So if you yeah. can actually pitch it And here's the thing, like I don't pitch shows to Jeff Old, right? Like Right, he's not taking pitches. Yeah, and he, I mean, listen, if I call him and say, hey, I need you to take a right. pitch, I'm sure I can get him if I have a right. talent or whatever, but there's a layer of respect right. and chain that you that you you have to understand and know. Yeah. And it's like, if I have a pitch, it's a great idea. I don't necessarily need him to be in the room for that. I mean, it's yeah. great, but like a relationship with Noah or Dalma, I, I mean, and you you let them put a filter on it and, and give you feedback and they move. And that's the way the process yes. works. And I like that. But if you have something that's in development there, you'd love to be able to get as many people thinking this might be a good idea as you possibly can. And I, and I like to, like I said, warm the room so that when they're going to, because that's a difficult part. You put a lot into these development pieces and it goes to an offsite where all of the network people get in one room and they play it for everybody. And inevitably it turns into a, let's pick on this show idea. And the ones that can survive getting bullied or hazed yeah. effectively are the ones they move on. So you'd like to have as many warm cheerleaders cheerleaders as you possibly can, or at least if there's anything that can help the process, I'd like to move that as, as quickly as I can. And so um, it's, yeah, it's it, it's worked for the way I, the way I do it. But let's, All right, good. So a couple with just Nobody last... else should do it the way I do it. I am, I'm, I'm... It's your thing. Yeah, it's not I'm a recipe for success. <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's... So I have a few like inside the actor studio questions that sure. I'm asking on every interview. So the first one is your proudest accomplishment. Um, probably extreme makeover weight loss. And that show aired on ABC. Yeah. Self-contained hours, but dramatic weight losses from beginning to the yeah. And they the took hour. a year to film. Right. A and year I to think film, that's right. And that was absolutely revolutionary at the time. Yeah. And a difficult sell. And so I think when that all came together, it was like wow, like that's. For me, that was TV at the highest level. You know what I mean? So that Huge. was, and it was also at a time where I was sort of young and green and excited and not jaded and, <laughs> and all these other things. Days. So you just felt like like this was a this was a real moment, which was kind of cool. Yeah, and that talent um, was that. Did you find him? He was great. Yeah, he, he'd actually gone through a, a a show we'd worked on in TLC, so we had okay. we had known him. From before, and he was on a show, and so he ended up working. And J.D. Roth, who was sort of instrumental in, in putting that, the actual nuts and bolts of the weight loss together, really was a champion of his. And um, so that was a that was a yeah. big that was a big piece. Um, Do you have a biggest regret? Uh, I think my time at TLC. There are there are moments that I would say are my biggest regret, only because there were elements that I didn't that I wasn't able to be successful at that job. I wasn't the right person for that job in that right situation. You know, my boss and I worked really well together in there, but that's not what she needed to be successful. And I think that as I look at that time, I realize like I probably, my personality, my style and my sort of all, I can make anything happen. I'm a big, if I'm in your corner to, to pump you up, you're feeling invincible. And she didn't need someone that made her feel invincible. She needed someone to pull the reins. And so I think I fueled you know, sort of the demise of that whole sort of regime a little bit from that. I just wasn't the right person. And I always wondered, like, 
if I had to do it again, what would I do differently? Well, do you think maybe you're just not a network executive? or Well, network? I'm pretty sure I'm not a network executive. That's, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, that might have had something to do with that sort of yeah, infrastructure. Yeah, well, I just think that that was a time, I think, at a different network or a different situation. I, I, I think I could have okay. I think I could have done it. I could have done a good job as a network executive. I don't know if I could do it now because even, and there's been a few jobs that have come up and been serious considerations. And I sort of always have the same thing where it's like, I don't think you'll get the best of me. I think you'll get the me that is going to make sure he doesn't get fired. Right. And that is, and I think I'd be good at that. Yeah. Like, I think that if that was my main goal going into a network, yeah. I think I'd be good at not, get, not getting, everything. yeah, I'd be good at not getting fired. I'd play a good political game this time and I'd make lots of friends with all the other departments. And so there were elements of that, that uh, I certainly didn't do very well at TLC. And I, so I have regrets of certain moments or certain elements or things that I did that would have been, um, just, just really uncouth in the in the style of that sort of political system, particularly at a discovery network, and that not knowing that that world very well sort of contributed to that. And so that kind of that I would say that probably fits into that category okay. again. I just didn't. That wasn't the right. Wasn't fit. The right fit. Yeah. And what about um, what's the craziest show that you've ever pitched? Um, <laughs> I I've pitched a few really crazy ones. I mean, I sold a show to Fox to Mike Darnell. I mean, years ago, <laughs> there was Celebrities in Space that was going to be like the first commercial space flight. This is before SpaceX. Wow. And because there was other companies working on it. Yeah. And the idea was that a celebrity was going to pick a regular person to be the first people on a commercial space flight. And we sold that to Darnell and we didn't have the spaceship and it wasn't right. So that was a, that was a pretty... That was a pretty crazy one. That's um, out there, literally. Oh yeah, that was out there. And did you? What's the craziest show that's ever been brought to you as a pitch? Um, I mean, cr- you're sitting I, in the room like, what the fuck? Uh, Spencer had one. Ironically, <laughs> Spencer pitched me an idea. He was very pa- passionate about about taking a group of uh, kids or millennials or contestants and making them think they landed on the moon or Mars. <laughs> it's all about space. Yeah, he was. <laughs> that's he, funny, he thought he actually. could put them in this controlled environment in this in this sound stage and like think they think they're on the moon. So I thought that was. That was really out there. I mean, crazy usually is like, yeah, that's a crazy thing. That could be really cool. Right. It's usually not crazy. It's usually really bad or really right. ill-conceived or really lousy or not entertaining. Those are most of the pitches I get. Right. And what are your your top three favorite reality shows right now? Survivor is still my top. I never I watch it live. I never miss an episode. Wow. I go to the finale. So that's always been sort of my absolute sort of top. I am now sort of stuck on Fixer Upper. Because my wife loves it, and every time I walk through the right. room and she's got it on, I stop and I can't stop watching that yeah. damn show. I know. Which sort of makes me crazy. Um, <laughs> right, that it's not yours. That it's not mine. I know. <laughs> so that's that just like I know. So that 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 I I love that, um, and I like the. Uh, the A and E prison one too. The nine days in. I knew you were gonna say yeah. it. It's sixty days in. It's, sixty days in. This is in now there. the third time it's been brought up, and yeah. I promised my friend Drew Tappen, who was the executive on that show, that yeah. I would give him a personal shout out this time because yeah. that that's that show is quite something, right? Yeah. Well, just that it's um it's one of those things that was like, what? How did I miss that? Uh, exactly. You know? Oh, I know. Like, what? Wow, that was sitting right there. I should have developed that show. I felt the same way. It, and I feel that way with like kicking and screaming on Fox that's coming out. It's a great idea. Is that the the new dating show? No, that's going to be oh. kicking and screaming is, is the one where they're going to have a uh, survival expert partnered with a complete newbie, <laughs> right. and their goal is to get out. And I was, and as soon as I read, it, I was yeah, like, oh, right. I know. Like, it's a great idea. How did I miss that? And I've developed every version right. of a survival thing and yeah and you know so i i do that quite a bit and i still watch master chef yeah at the end of the day you know we do yeah you watch the kids one i do i like that i know i still like i still like the original yeah um you know at three ball we did the first season of it and sort of crafted and set up that whole sort of system there and and uh it's a really exciting time and it was you know so i'm I'm still gordon easy or hard to work with this town wildly easy yeah like crazy easy wow sweetest yeah quite really that's so nice to hear yeah i love it this has been so great. I know, it's fun, right? I, yeah, I, I could talk for like 10 more hours. Thank you so much. Anytime. <laughs> <laughs>